everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. Hey, how are you? Good. Although I feel like that was really low energy just now. (laughs) And I'm not low energy at all about anything related to the podcast in this episode, but I just was like, wow. Yeah. It's like marathon training and it's marathon and, training. And life is really like it's a lot. This week, man, I was talking to my therapist and I was like, dude, the fires, uh, Texas, um, the floods in New York, yeah. uh, a recall election. And then I mean, that's not even all of like the personal stuff that's just, you know, little stupid shit in my life. And I was just like, it feels yeah, okay. We're not in the pandemic still, right? Like right. we're still in That's that. We, I forget to. about that we're still in a pandemic. I totally which forget is like... about it. There's so much other stuff going on. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. There's that too. Isn't that crazy that we got to a point where like you can be listing the things that are happening in your life and you're like, oh yeah, and then the pandemic. Yeah, on top of it all. A hundred percent. That's where we're at. But yeah, marathon training. How's that going? I think it's going pretty well. I know I'm fit. And I know the data says it, but like my fitness on Strava like dropped. And I'm like, that is just not Uh. humanly possible. So I'm trying not to let that mess with my head. But yeah, it's going pretty well. I had a really big workout on Thursday, um, 10 by a K, which crazy. like a month ago, granted, I was running it a little bit faster a month ago because... I have no chill. And so I was, I've also grown as a person in a month Mm. of like really pacing myself, but, you know, struggling to hit in six reps at the end, like what I was just sort of jogging in by number 10. So I never felt like I'm dying. It was more of like, oh, my legs are starting to feel a little lactic before anything else. And that when you're feeling good, otherwise I feel you can kind of trick your mind into thinking you're okay. And just like, pick it up. So that was a that was a big workout for me just mentally. And then I have a good long run tomorrow and then it's I was telling Dina I was like, "Yeah, if the race was in like a week, I'd be fine. I'd be like, yeah, I'm ready." She's like, "Well, I'm hoping we can get you a little fitter." And I'm like, "I don't know. I feel good." <laughs> That's a good place to be. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Of course, like any little thing that hurts, I'm like, oh my God. Yep. Oh my God. What's happening? But yeah, it is a good place to be. I feel like life stuff, there's so much going on. My brother got married last year, but they finally had their wedding on Monday because when you get married at a desirable place with zero availability and you have to reschedule due to COVID, you have to get married on a Monday. And it was so much fun. I want to go back to this last weekend and just do it all over. It was so great. But I'm I'm exhausted from all the fun. I'm exhausted yep. from all of the talking to people that I haven't seen in a while, like just the mm, human interaction. Yes. And then terrified because I'm like, oh my God, my wedding is in like <laughs> over six weeks. And I'm like, shit, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. And I emailed, we're having a day of coordinator with like a spreadsheet because I go into Mm -hmm. spreadsheet mode when I get stressed. (laughs) And he was like, you need to calm down. (laughs) I'm going to be okay. I love it. Are you a Excel person or are you a Google spreadsheet person? I'm now a Google Sheets person. Yeah, me too. But just a lot of excitement. I also feel like I can't really focus too much on the wedding until the marathon is over, which like that timing doesn't work out. I need to be focused on both at the same time. (laughs) You you, got to walk and chew gum. (laughs) You only have like a week in between. It's like 12 days. 12 days. That's nuts. Yeah. (laughs) So 
did going to your brother's wedding give you ideas like that made you excited or that just made you like oh my god what if my wedding isn't as fun as I don't know like yeah I mean I think it'll be different like ours mm-hmm. is gonna be a little bit smaller his was more of like a destination wedding of no one lives in Solvang, California, so everyone had to travel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there were activities and stuff. And so I think it's it's just going to be different. But I really liked the flow of what they did. I learned mm. a lot. It was a great dress rehearsal. And I think Perfect. that's why I got stressed because I was like, I don't have a schedule. I don't know when <laughs> we're doing this. When are we going to like do all of these things? So it was really fun. It just made me panic a little bit. But yeah. it was awesome. I, you know, it's, every wedding is going to be different because it's different people. It's a different environment. Ours is going to be really fun. His was really fun. It was so funny. So he got married at this ranch in Solvang and the ceremony and the reception was in this area called the Sycamore Grove. Mm-hmm. And we took a shuttle to get up there. It's like a 15 minute drive from the ranch itself, even though it's on the same property. But on the way back, we took like a hay wagon connected yeah. to like a vehicle, like a truck. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. It's getting a little chilly. It's beautiful. You can see the stars for days. We're all a little drunk <laughs> and we're like on this hayride. And I have never laughed so hard. It was <laughs> so ridiculous. So fun. It felt like we were on like the real life jungle cruise on land and on a ranch. I love it. But it was just, it was insane. And so... Yeah, it was just a really, a really good time. There were a lot of bugs. I'm incredibly bitten up and like scratching all over, but it was worth it. Totally. How are you doing with prehab, rehab? I guess you're not doing rehabbing anything, but how are we doing with strength? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, good question. You know, Matt knows because I've told him that I have been really neglecting my regular strength training because he's given me some amazing exercises, but I get distracted. I need to check my phone. I get bored. And so to get through it, it takes me like 90 minutes and I don't have 90 minutes. Um, I just don't. And so he's been really helpful in terms of like giving me shorter, more strength focused routines that I'm excited to get into because I just think it's going to sort of fit with the higher volume plus working eight hours a day. Plus, There's that too. (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. So I'm excited to get started on that, but I've just been very kind of religious about the prehab. Like I don't take a single step outside until I've done my prehab exercise from Ever Athlete. And sorry, Matt, I haven't been logging in the phone, but I swear to God I do it. (laughs) And it's just like, I know that I'm getting everything activated. And I think that's a huge, huge part of injury prevention for me. Mm. Like when I neglect that, that's when things kind of go to go to hell. Um, Also when I'm like dumb and just run too hard and too fast. (laughs) So it's like a whole bunch of being dumb things. So this is part of my commitment to be smart during this training cycle. So yeah, it's been great. Um, The the great thing about Matt and Ever Athlete is like they just are willing to work with you and adapt to what you need. And I think they're always trying to learn from their athletes to evolve their program. So just super grateful for him and for helping me stay healthy. And he's an early riser. So sometimes I'll get texts from him at like seven in the morning. That's like, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, you're too happy right now. (laughs) You're you're too enthusiastic for me, but I love it. It's awesome. So if you guys haven't already, make sure you check out Ever Athlete. It's everathlete.fit, ROTB50 for 50% off your first month. You know, 
if you try it and you're like, uh, you know, I'm doing it for a month and then I feel like I need to change something up. Like I said, they're always changing things. They're always adapting. You can always reach out to Matt for professional advice. He's just the best. Yeah. And he works with Olympians. So he kind of yes. knows what he's talking about. Olympians yeah. and Mimi and, and me. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> so he's a big deal. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. This week was was busy with work and then my sister had a baby, which is like oh, no. so exciting. Yay, so life. I, be- I became an aunt and yeah, I mean, I'm not training for any marathons right now, but I'm doing, you know, solid amounts of running. And so everything's feel everything's feeling good. Like I've been doing lots of strength and so it's been kind of fun like layering those two things on and like feeling how like much more smooth my stride is when I do Mm -hmm. things like that. It doesn't get glitchy. Like I, I feel less creaky in the mornings after like I did a big workout on, on Wednesday and then Thursday when I went out and I was like anticipating the creakiness and then it like never came and I was like, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, so that's been good. And I have an athlete right now that I'm coaching to her first, uh, marathon trail run trail race and something that I've never done trail marathon. (laughs) Yeah. What? Like (laughs) just a total glitch in the the system, something that I have never done, I've done the marathon on the roads, but the trail marathon, man, that is uh, that's a different beast. Yeah. And she's been having like crushing the training, but having such trouble on the long runs mm. with um like with GI issues. And you know, I have been really lucky. Like I haven't had GI issues, so I was like telling her, you know, Tom's trick of like I don't know, maybe you try pickle juice like before, like try this, try that. You just and- need to label it. He needs to make his own pickle juice and label <laughs> yes, it Tom yeah. juice. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, and that's more for cramping. So she finally tried um you can super starch and had a amazing long run. That's awesome. So I'm like so excited for her. You know, you always like hope these things stay because you know, sometimes you can have one good long run. So this weekend will be another test. But you know, I just think that like the super starch is such a key thing because it's that slow energy release, um, but quick quick absorption into the stomach. So you kind of get that like the energy your body feels it, but then it's not that like big jolt, which I think can cause some people to have GI issues. So, you know, I'm, uh, it makes me like even more of a fan of them. And, uh, I think that everybody should give it a try. You know, nutrition is so, is so important and it's such like a key part of running. You know, we think, we think about the training and you and I talk a little bit about like layering on the strength and really thinking about the recovery part of it, but the nutrition part is like so crucial and getting it right and figuring out what works for you is, is really important. So, you know, if you haven't checked out, you can use our discount, go to youcan.co slash discounts slash ROTB for 15% off your order. Um, and let us know what you think. Let it, let them know what you think. Yeah. Like I can't say enough good things about the You Can Edge for marathon mm. training and for taking it on your run. Like this is a, a continuous You Can Add, like from the bottom <laughs> of my heart. But you know, it's only taken me this long to figure out that like I actually need to adequately fuel mm. during my long runs in order to really adapt and feel really recovered after. And so, you know, I take a couple packets of that with me with some other gels to sort of mix it up. But I definitely look forward to taking the edge more and, you know, do what works for you and your body. But I, I really, when you're doing these long runs now and if it's hot and humid, Like, please, please take some nutrition every half an hour, every 40 minutes. I promise your long runs are going to be better. 
your recovery is going to be better. Even if you're like, I'm like less than four miles in and I have to take a gel, force yourself to do it. It's been the best thing that I've done during this training cycle. Yeah. Do it. Try it. Do it. (laughs) So I'm so excited about this episode, despite my my (laughs) initial low energy, which again, had nothing to do with that. It's marathon training. Um, But this is someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a while and that has basically become my best friend on Twitter over the last year. And so to finally get to like see each other face to face and have a conversation in real life was awesome. Um, This episode is with Jay Holder of the Atlanta Track Club. Jay, who has been on a lot of podcasts. Jay, who was sort of the face of the marathon trials back in 2020, played a huge role in media and sort of managing all the press conferences at Tokyo. Tokyo for all of athletics. Uh, he's a Taylor Swift fan. Just <laughs> like can't say enough good things about our best friend Jay. Seriously. And such a fun story about him meeting, you know, local legend and friend of the pod, Caitlin Chrisman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jay, honorary member of the Runners of the Bay, you know, officially um, and friend of the pod forever. Enjoy this episode with Jay Holder. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. Today, we're so excited because I feel like we're best friends, even though that might be an exaggeration, best Twitter friends. But today, we're so happy to have Jay Holder here um, on the podcast. And if you don't know Jay, Jay is with the Atlanta Track Club. Jay was just in Tokyo at the Olympics, has been on several other podcasts. I would say he was the brains behind the operation of the Olympic marathon trial. So there's so much to get into. We have a a mutual friend that is the Bay Area Connection, uh, Caitlin Christman. So we can talk about that. But Jay, welcome. Welcome, welcome to Runners of the Bay. Thanks so much for having me. I, I uh, never expected to be on a podcast about runners in a place that's so far away from where I actually am, but where I desperately want to be most of the year. I feel like via Twitter, you have such a presence in the Bay Area running community. I mean, what Mimi yeah. said is so true. I'm like, oh yeah, I know Jay. Like we're on Twitter all the time. It's fine. Well, and I, my running buddy, who I don't know, like if she wants me to drop her name, but my running buddy when I was in Tokyo uh, lives in San Francisco also. So lots of connections. I don't get out there enough though, but talking to you guys, I'm like, okay, I need to get to San Francisco real soon. Please awesome. do. We would and love that. We also have like a loose requirement of who can be on the podcast. It's like, you need to know someone that has lived in the Bay Area or if you have ever stepped foot into SFO. You count. So oh, I've done that. Okay. Great. Two criteria. So it's perfect. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. I think since you've gotten back from Tokyo, you have a bit of a life update that you uh, put out there on Twitter that reconfirmed that you're not a hurdler. So <laughs> how's that going for you? So, so we're on video, so you guys can like barely make out the stitches in my chin. Oh no! And yeah, I, I have, it's not in the cast, so you can't tell by looking at it. But my left arm is broken. I am. Oh my I'm, god! I mean, I didn't need confirmation that I was not a hurdler, but for some reason, I decided to seek it out anyways. And uh, at the end of a run Saturday night. So this is we're recording on on Wednesday. At the end of a run on Saturday evening, I noticed my kids and my wife. They were across the street 
in this parking lot where they often ride bikes. And I was like, oh, I'll go see him. And I ran over there and there was like a chain around part of the entrance of the parking lot. And there was a clear way to go around that. Like I could have gone around the chain, but I decided <laughs> I'll jump over it. I'm good. And it was maybe eight inches off the ground. And I caught my right foot on it and just, I mean, I landed on my chin and my left arm and I broke the radial oh, neck in my bone. And uh, I got four stitches in my chin and uh, it, it was one of my, I mean, in a, in a lifetime of not graceful moments, it still ranks towards the top of not graceful moments. <laughs> so I'm, I'm nursing a little bit of an injury, but trying to laugh at myself instead of being angry at myself over it. Oh my God. I feel like that's so relatable. Like we're all like, yeah, that seems like a good thing to jump over. I also would have been like, yeah, I just got finished watching like both 400 meter hurdle finals. And like, I can do that. Like, fine. Yeah. I'm basically a steeplechaser. I watched it enough on TV. I started running because I'm so not coordinated. Like I need to remind myself of that all the time. Like the reason I became a runner is because I couldn't do anything that requires coordination. So uh, I just need to just keep that thought in my head next time I go out for a run. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. No ball sports for me. Mimi, <laughs> Mimi has more coordination. She was tennis. So she, she oh, beats God, us yeah. all, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's all gone. but that's a perfect kind of segue into like let's talk a little bit about your early running like do you have like a one of your earliest running memories what's kind of something that stands out yeah so I had a great friend who actually lives in California although not the Bay she's in Santa Barbara uh one of my best friends uh in high school had a Nintendo I don't remember which iteration of Nintendo was. I didn't grow up with with video games. I just didn't have them. But she lived down the street and me and like a bunch of other friends. This this is like middle school, sixth, seventh grade. A bunch of other friends would go over there and we would play Mario Kart. But I always wanted to go over there first so I could get the first controller. And so I just started like instead of walking to her house, which was like, I don't know, half a mile away, I would run. And after a while, I was like, I sort of like this. And then I got to high school and I joined the swim team because I liked swimming. But then I realized that I liked the warm up before swimming, which was a mile run, way better than like the part where you're in the pool. So the next year I uh, went out for cross country and I wasn't very good, but I just had so much more fun doing it. And that's sort of been the one line description of my running ever since is I'm not very good, but I really enjoy doing it. And so I've just stuck with it. That was, I'm 37. So I've been running pretty consistently for, you know, 20 plus years now. And I can't hardly remember not being a runner. I feel like that's half the battle is just like finding something that you like and being able to stick with it. The barrier, no pun intended, to entry <laughs> for running is pretty low. Like you don't have to be coordinated. You can just sort of jump in there and like a lot of people resonate with that. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like when you start like like anything else, you start it in the first couple of times. It's not great. Nobody loves running the first time they step out the door. But it's one of those things that if you stick with it just long enough, like you can find how, I mean, I guess for me, therapeutic it is. Like running has been my therapy for so long. And now that I've got this broken arm, like the first thing I did was try to figure out, can I still run with this? And the answer right. is yes. Because this Your motion, like, yeah, this motion <laughs> is fine. It's like, I just can't, I mean, actually the best part is I can run with it, but I can't, I don't have the motion where I can turn my arm. So I can't look at my watch. So my last couple of runs have been like so freeing because I don't know what pace I'm running or how many miles in I am. And that's been kind of a nice uh, change of pace, uh, pun intended, I guess. Yeah. So I like keep saying that I should run free or not wear a watch or something. A few weeks ago, I was out of town and I actually forgot my charger and I immediately panicked and was like, how am I going to do my long run? Like it didn't happen if it's not on my watch. 
And so I, I like panic ordered a new charger and it wasn't going to be there for a few days. So I was like, I have to conserve my watch battery. So I turned it off and I, I was tracking with Strava, but like it was such a weird sensation for the first time to not have a watch to be like, when I, when I stop at a stoplight, I stop my watch and I was like doing like phantom stop and start. And I was like, there's like a key part of my motion that's missing. And then by the fourth day, I really enjoyed it. And my charger came and I was like, oh, well, I guess, I guess I'm doing this again, but. But it's so weird when you get into this habit and sort of this, yeah, like it, it becomes automatic. Yeah. If I could just not look at it, like I don't mind listening for the beeps. Like today I knew I was, yeah. I, I, I took a couple of days off after breaking my arm because I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> but so I've been trying to ease back into it. And I, yeah, I went out for a five mile run really early this morning and I just listened to the beeps and counted. If I honestly had no idea what pace I was running. I just kind of had like a, an idea of a five mile course around my neighborhood. And it was just, I don't know. I, the run went by faster somehow because I wasn't like, even when you're enjoying running, you're still like, Hey, okay, this can be over now at some point. And I wasn't like waiting for the end. And so that it was just really nice. If I can get used to not turning my arm when I'm running, I, I might stick with it. Yeah. I think it's good. It does go by faster and we all need like, I don't know. It helped me remember like, Oh, it's not about like my watch or what my watch tells me. It's like about just doing the run, which was a nice reminder. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like in its purest form, running is just getting out there and putting one foot in front of the other. And like, I, I, you know, for me personally, like I'm not trying to break any records or, or do anything other than just get a good start to the day. And, and yeah, it's, it's totally. been kind of a nice break. I do like seeing sometimes you tweet about your runs in the morning. And since you're three hours ahead, I think mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh, Jay's already run. OK, <laughs> got to get out. Here. And sometimes you're like, I don't know, you'll like tweet something very poetic about like the sun rising. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> OK, I'm going to keep doing it now that I know it actually has an impact. Yeah, it totally <laughs> has an impact. Yeah, yeah, definitely keep doing it. Are you both morning runners or would you call yourself evening runners? Oh, morning. Yeah. Morning if if I can. Yeah. Lately, I've really had to be a morning runner, like, because just work, you know, before I could kind of like go out in the middle of the day for like an hour. But now with work, I just I have to get it in early or it's like it'll it could happen after work, but I'm so less motivated. Yeah. It's just it's the best way to start your day. Like, I feel like, okay, I did that. Now my day can actually begin. I feel like I'm too anxious. Like if I, if I don't do it, I spend the rest of the day thinking about when I'm going to get my run in. If I don't get out of bed and run, sometimes I'll be trying to talk myself out of getting out of bed. And then I'll remind myself like how stressful that's going to be the rest of the day for me. So that's what motivates me to get out the door. And then I'm always so glad. I'm like, do I eat a salad? I don't really want a salad in my stomach because then I'm going to run and that's like not great. You know, you're like, no, God, I just got to do this in the morning. (laughs) It's so much better. Yeah. And here, like San Francisco in the the summer is somewhat bearable. Although I know it still gets warm there, but like in Atlanta, like if you try to run in the afternoon, it's a death sentence. it's, it's, It's impossible in August to run here in the afternoon. Yeah. Yesterday, actually. So my, my brother got married on Monday oh. because COVID. So that when they rescheduled everything, they could only get a Monday date. So it was down actually by Santa Barbara. And so I woke up yesterday feeling pretty terrible. Didn't get my, <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of fun Monday night. Didn't get my run in in the morning and we drove back and it was like a four and a half hour car ride. And like I got home, ate something really quickly and I was exhausted and still felt terrible and was like, I just have to go out and run because my day hasn't started yet. And I felt, I felt a lot better, but it was like, oh, running at four o'clock. This is 
not fun. I have like, when I, whenever I run in the afternoon here, by the end, I'm like looking for somebody with like a, a hose that I can <laughs> drink out of at their house or like, I mean, it's just, I had a similar situation a couple of weeks ago where I ran at like three in the afternoon in Atlanta. And it was, I mean, I, I think I lost, I'm, I'm not a guy that should be losing weight. <laughs> and I think I lost like 10 pounds on the run. It felt <laughs> like sweat. afterwards. And yeah. Just ball the sweat. Oh my God. Well, how has running evolved throughout your life? Like from the early beginnings to now and like it being such a crucial part of your routine. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is it's remained a consistent part of my life, but it has changed in the way it kind of fits into my life. I, I ran in high school, you know, the people who are still probably my best friends were my high school cross country teammates. I mean, we're close to this day. And then uh, I ran in college, division three, you know, it sort of was allowed me to, to take running seriously, but not so seriously that it consumed my life. So I, you know, I would say in college, my number one priority was my major and really focusing on some of the uh, extracurriculars that came with my major. I was a broadcast journalism major and cross country and track could be like second and third priority, which is a healthy place to keep it. I, I know so many great D1 runners who, who were awesome in college and don't run as much anymore because it was just so consuming over those four years. And I never had that experience because you know, we were D3, the pressure wasn't as high, wasn't on scholarship, any of that. After I got out of college, uh, I jumped into my career and really didn't run much for two or three years. I, you know, I ran very recreationally. I was living in Syracuse, New York. And what really jump-started, restarted running in my life and in the way that it is today is I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I met Caitlin Chrisman, who you talked about earlier, and one of my other best friends, uh, a guy named Aaron Linz. And we started running together and um, decided that the Charlotte running community really needed somebody to bring all... We realized there were a ton of runners in Charlotte, but they weren't meeting together. There weren't running groups. And so we started the Charlotte Running Club together. And it lit a fire under me to start training again. I trained for my first marathon and it's really just never gone away. I, I ran age group competitively, regionally competitively uh, in Charlotte for a couple of years. Uh, and then in New York City, where there's a really great team environment in New York City, where there are team races almost every week. And so it's sort of cross country style and the way it scored. So I ran for a team there, had a blast, ran all of my PRs in New York. And then in the past five or six years, I've had kids and running has become more of a I mean, I still run, you know, more than probably the average person does uh, on, a, on any given in any given week. But it is much more just for fitness and sanity, and I'm not training for anything. And I've, I've actually it was, it was funny just before I fell on Saturday when I was in Japan, I couldn't run much, and so my weekly mileage dropped drastically. And I was doing a lot more of like like Peloton strength workouts and stuff. And I found this really great balance between running and, and other like more cross training type activities. And I was it's probably been, I don't know, three, four months now that I've been doing that. And I just was loving it. I, I found myself in this space where I just loved everything about running and how great I felt during a run and, you know, how important of a part of my day running was. And then I fell and smashed my arm. But running just is it's one of those things like it's always there and it can be there no matter how you want it to be there. So if you want to go out and chase a half marathon PR, you can do that. If you want to go out and run five miles a day, you can do that. And I'm in that I want to go out and run five miles a day place. And I've always said with it, when I turn 40 in a couple of years, I'll, I'll go chase that PR again, or, or at least a master's PR. But I'm really kind of loving this place where there's not really a defined purpose to running other than just the pure enjoyment of it. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, the that running can be different things at different times and all are like equally valuable and meaningful and powerful and that they can, you know, running can kind of be complementary to other things, the like the cross training and how, you know, I think so many runners, especially early on, you're just like, I'm a runner. That's all I do. I've never lifted a weight. I'm fit in this one way. And, you know, as you get older, I know Mimi and I have both like had, you know, injuries and then I've gotten into like prehab and strength routines. And it's so remarkable to see how how, you know, those two things can kind of layer on. Yeah. I went in, I, I left for Japan with a herniated disc in my lower back and I was running like Ooh. 70, 80 miles a week, which is, which is a lot when you're not training for anything, but I yeah. just got this rhythm yeah. where I was like going out every morning and running 10 miles. And also I was working from home and home became the couch. And so I would go out and run and I'd come home and then I'd sit on my, you know, my laptop, like arch back on my couch in the worst possible way. And so I ended up with a, with a lower back issue and running was becoming not fun. And then I went into quarantine for two weeks and I didn't run. And all I did was core stuff and whatever I could do in my tiny hotel room. And I walked out of there with zero back pain and I have been running, like it's opened my eyes to what it's like to be running comfortably and pain-free and somebody who has done the proper strength work to allow their body to run, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years into this thing. Yeah. I can't, especially as you get older, I can't overstate how important that is to put in that time. Yeah. You told the story of your quarantine on, on the alley on the run show, which was so fun to listen to, but it, it sounded super intense, but uh, like two weeks of just tiny hotel room, three meals a day. I, I was like, sounds like Jay's in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, with a computer and like, you know, access to a Peloton app. Yeah, it was like nice. It was like white collar jail, I feel like. You know? <laughs> Martha Stewart jail. Like when Martha Stewart went to jail, <laughs> yeah. I imagine yeah. it was sort of like that. Um, yeah, it was an intense quarantine and it was 16 very long days. And there were some days like I, I'm a bit of an introvert. And so there were some days where I was like, this is nice. Like there's nobody yeah. bothering me. Amazing. I can just read this book. <laughs> like, but the other, the other cool thing was that time was irrelevant. So like, I'm going to work tonight from 10 PM to 4 AM. And then I'm going to go to bed because there's nothing else to do. So that kind of part of it was kind of cool. But 16 days in a room that's, you know, 10 by 10 wears on you a little bit. There's only so much Netflix you can watch and there's only so many zoom calls you can do. And the food was not the best, but it was totally worth it because I think that, you know, the steps that Tokyo 2020 put in place to keep everybody safe and to make sure that the games themselves weren't a spreader of, of COVID, they did an incredible job. And I think, I think everybody on staff was willing to make the sacrifices just to be there. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking the same thing of like, well, this could be nice for like a couple of days when I really don't want to talk to anyone or actually maybe I just want to sleep all day and not do anything and finally have an excuse like to literally do nothing. So in some ways I was a little envious of like, oh, I just had an excuse to like hide from the world sort of. I know you were still working for Atlanta Track Club while you were there, but that would be nice. A question, did they have blackout curtains at least so you could like trick yourself in terms of times of day or was there light coming into the room? They weren't so much blackout curtains. Like they would, they would darken the room enough. I, um, I worked nights for a long time in television. Mm. Uh, so I, if I'm, I'm okay with sleeping during the day, fortunately, because the other thing about Japan is that the sun comes up at four, between four and four thirty in the morning. So, oh, wow. you know, even if you went to bed at night, often the sunrise, the early sunrise would, would wake yeah. you up super early. So, but I can sleep through, I can sleep when it's light out. So I was fortunate with that, but the, there were curtains, but they weren't, they were sort of like a beige color. So they didn't really 
block out the sun completely. But it was not, it was just, I was just glad I had a window that opened and I, yeah, you know, <laughs> my room, my room had a view. Like if I, if I turned my head just the right way and like kind of, I couldn't hang out the window cause the screen wouldn't come off, but just like, you know, angled my head, I could see the Tokyo sky tower, which is this, you know, this huge tower in, in Tokyo. And that was a really cool view. And I had so many other friends who were in the hotel who like looked out at like the fire escape across the <laughs> alley or like just a brick wall. So I was really lucky to have, to see the sunrise every morning over the Tokyo sky tower was pretty cool. Oh, that is really cool. So going back to like your time in North Carolina, I, I remember Caitlin was like, I found this running group on Craigslist. And I was like, yeah, that's how we did it back then. That makes total sense. But it sounds like community has always been like a really important part, or at least starting in North Carolina was a really important part of running. And it's like clear that it, or at least it seems that it's a priority of yours, like what you've done with Atlanta Track Club and sort of the community of the trials. And so I'm just curious to like know how you think about community in general and community and running and, and what that looks like and how you foster a really great community. Yeah. I mean, Caitlin nailed it with the story. I mean, yeah, we, she reached out to another friend on Craigslist who I was already running with and and we met up at the track and we just realized that we had more fun doing our runs when we were running together. And we're three very, me and Caitlin and, and Aaron Lins, who's the, who's still in Charlotte, are three very different people. Um, we come from different backgrounds. We've, we've come to running in different ways. Caitlin was a great D1 runner at, at Wake Forest. But we realized that the three of us looking at running, and Aaron's 10 years older than, than me, and I'm five years older than Caitlin, the three of us all, even though we approached running from a different way, we all loved running, and we loved running for the same reason, because it just you know, it gave us life. And we realized that you know, we're not alone in that. And we saw so many other people running up and down the streets in Charlotte and wanted to connect with them and meet them and learn why they loved running. And for me, running has always been such like it's I've met every single one of my closest friends through running in some way, shape or form, either on a run, after a run, through somebody who ran. So for me, like it is it has always been the best way to build community, to find community. If I go to a city, the first thing I'm going to do is a new city is find out one, where the running paths are and two, if there are any running groups I can come out to and meet somebody at. Well, I mentioned earlier that I'm a bit of, a, of an introvert at times, but I am the most extroverted person in the world on a run. For some, there's something about about running that I just want to share everything and talk and talk and talk and ask questions and learn about the person that I'm running with. I was at a group run last week here in Atlanta and pulled up on this guy who was running with this dog. And he was clearly like, you know, trying to keep up with this, this fast dog. He was trying to keep up with this dog. And I'm just like asking him questions and questions and questions. And finally, by the end, he's like answering with one word. And I'm like, this guy doesn't want to talk to me anymore. But, but I mean, it's always to me, like running can easily separate itself out between fast people and slow people. And and new runners and experienced runners, but it doesn't have to, because I think we're all out there trying to accomplish the same goal in some way, shape or form. And so to bring those people together and make people realize that is, and I know that's some sort of broad, very pie in the sky goal, but that's always sort of been my goal, whether it's starting the Charlotte Running Club, running with my team in New York City or here at Atlanta Track Club to make runners who are experiencing the sport, the activity, the hobby at different levels, connect with runners who are experiencing the sport at a different level. So, you know, being able to say, hey, look, this Olympic runner is out there, you know, running five minute miles for 26.2 miles, but your experience as a four hour marathon or five hour marathon are not that much different and try to make those connections. And to me, when those connections are made, just one of those connections are made, like that's a good day, that's a success. And the trials were really the ultimate, I think, 
example of that. And earlier you called, I think you referred to me as the brains of the, the trials, which is certainly mm-hmm. not true. Um, I was one of a many uh, really dedicated Atlanta Track Club employees who kind of share this vision of how do we celebrate running from the two-year-old running the 50-meter dash to the person making the U.S. Olympic team. And we envisioned this weekend that involved kids races and high school races and a five, all-comers 5K and an all-comers marathon and a half marathon and all sort of laddered up to this, you know, the premier event in the sport of distance running. And at this event, it wasn't just about the people out on the course and that particular day, it was about the people who ran the other races celebrating the races they weren't in. And the whole thing was about just showing how the community is so connected through this common love, passion, and goal. You know, I don't, I can't think of a better weekend that showcased that. And if we can keep finding ways to do that, I'll work on it for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I didn't think about this until you just mentioned like sort of the vision for that weekend. But so four years earlier in LA and not to like poop on LA. I'm from LA. Well, I'll poop on LA. I'm from LA and I'm like, I'm never going back. But I ran the LA marathon, which they moved from what it's usually in March, but they moved it to the day after the trials. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if you felt this, like the experience for me was that like you would never know that that was the reason they moved it. And even at the expo, like there wasn't sort of a clear connection to the trials and like even in the lead up, it felt really disconnected, which I feel like is a, such a missed opportunity. And I, I never even thought about that until, till just now. Yeah. I mean, LA did a lot of things right. And, you know, they, they had a great race there that resulted in, in an awesome team for, for Rio, but we wanted to learn from some, some missed opportunities. I think it's a good way right. of putting it. Like a big goal of ours was that the public Atlanta marathon being held the next day on the Sunday after the trials was just as important as the trials. Like the, that yeah. was not the B event for us. It had to be just as important, just as celebrated. We had to give the people who cross so Galen Rupp needed to get the same sort of celebration and excitement when he crossed the line as the person who finished dead last in the public line marathon. And we reminded ourselves of that as a staff every single day, because it's really easy when you're putting on an event as high profile, as complicated as the trials to put all your energy and resources into that race. And we just knew that if we wanted the race to leave a legacy on the city and on the running community, it had to be a it had to be a weekend long celebration, not just that three hours on, on Saturday. And so it was really intentional that all of Team USA started the race the next morning and they were out there high fiving our finishers at the finish line the next day because we wanted people to feel like their accomplishment, whether it was their PR or finishing their first marathon or finishing their first half marathon was just as important as the people who who came here and made the Tokyo team. Yeah, that definitely makes a huge difference in kind of how you establish community. And I think having those races, bringing the same enthusiasm, you know, kind of encouraging that cross-pollination. But something else that I think your background in television brings to your approach to the Atlanta Track Club and, you know, maybe even what you guys built in Charlotte is story. And so I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, how you use story really to also layer on to all the things you just talked about to really make running as inclusive um, as possible. Yeah, I think it's about learning who's behind the miles. And so on the pro side of it, I'll use the trials as an example again, because this is another thing that was a big focus for us was we wanted the streets to be lined for the trials. 
And there's the only way to get people to care about distance running because people, let's face it, like it's not, it's not a huge spectator sport in the U S and even if a big race is coming through your town, you might not go out there if you, if like, it's not something you follow. So we invested almost all of our marketing for the trials in elevating the stories of the athletes and telling people who the athletes were and not just the, you know, the, the Abdi's of the world and, and the Galen's and the Alephine's, but everybody in the field, like we wanted there to be a cheering section for every athlete. And that of course was a, was a lofty goal. Like I mean, there were, ended up being what, 700 athletes in the trials, <laughs> but we wanted everybody's story to be out there and available. So you could know that, you know, Caitlin Christman is not just a fast runner. She is a newlywed and she, you know, works for Bank of America and, you know, has a, her MBA and like, and she's still out there running crazy fast times. Like, that's really cool. And maybe I can relate to one of those things as another runner. So I think, I think stories, one, build affinity for the professional side of the sport, but they also, they make the professional side of the sport relatable and hopefully inspire somebody to go out and chase whatever goal they might have. And so I think, you know, once you get to know the person behind the times or the splits, I think that makes the sport more approachable. And so we've really done that across the board with our elites, with the elites here, or just, you know, with our, with our master's team, with our youth team, with our training programs. Our training programs are built at Atlanta Track Club around the successes of past participants. And it's, it's knowing that, you know, this woman from Marietta, Georgia, went through our training program and, you know, she'd never run a 5K before and she ran her first half marathon and she broke two hours and 30 minutes and, and here's how she got here. So we're really big on building content around the successes of the members of the track club community. That's the best marketing you can do because it's genuine, it's real, and somebody can always relate to it. Yeah. I think it was like sort of, for lack of a better word, the perfect storm of all of the stories of both in numbers, particularly on the women's side at the trials. Like there were just so many women and so many stories that were getting told, whether that was through the athlete bios that you guys had, which were so comprehensive and awesome coverage in the New York Times, all of the podcast interviews. And, you know, I'll certainly say like that was a huge influence for us starting this podcast, because I think that I was listening to all of that and I was like, oh gosh, I don't know how I'm going to be a part of this community in a more formal or meaningful way, but like I need to build it for myself because it felt so powerful. Even though like I may never compete in the trials, there's still an opportunity to be part of that. So I think it had and will continue to have a huge impact on just how we think about inclusivity in the sport going forward. Yeah. And that's, that's a big part of it. It has to be inviting. Like, you know, the trials couldn't be this event where it's like, Hey, here's all these super fast athletes over here. Your race is the next day, but these fast people right. are going to be running on this day. It had to be all one event. And that's why we kept, that's why we came up with, we ended up calling it America's marathon weekend because we didn't want it to be known simply as the trials here in Atlanta, because we wanted everybody to feel like, and know that they did play a role in it. I mean, the star of the trials is the city of Atlanta coming out and a lot of non-runners coming out and and cheering on the runners on one day uh, and the trials on one day and public's marathon the next day and they did that because of the amount of the amount of stories that were out there and the amount of content that was out there around just what was happening here i mean it became this thing that you just couldn't miss and we've seen so we've heard from so many people who started running because they were standing out there on saturday february 29th and they were just so inspired by what they saw I hope that's the legacy of the trials is that this year we're standing at the finish line of the public's Atlanta marathon and somebody who is there who ran because they were out there in 2020. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Well, it was a beautiful last weekend of the before times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got really lucky too. I mean, yes. We talk about the perfect storm. If, if the race had been a week later, it probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Well, I know, you know, Mimi and I obviously pay a lot of attention and we would have watched the trials no matter what. But I think we both had this experience of like people in our life that don't care about running, that typically don't follow running, all of a sudden coming to us and saying like, did you see this? And this happened in Atlanta. Did you know about this? There's like regular people running the Olympic trials. And I think that is the truth, like success, you know, that it like it broke through to, you know, the non running world as this thing that was remarkable. And those stories that you were just talking about became the thing that you're talking about at work or, you know, now over Zoom because nobody's at work. But you know what I mean? Like, it was so cool. Yeah. And I think like I laugh about the narrative around Molly Seidel that popped up out after the trials. And, and you just saying that kind of made me realize maybe why that was born. Like Molly and I joked about this on Instagram live a couple of weeks after the trials. Like if you read a non-running media source... Yeah. It made it sound like like she was just like woke up one morning from you know on her way to her barista job and was like I think I'll run a marathon today <laughs> right. and then like you know, made the trials like I didn't talk about like she had a multi time NCAA champion but but maybe the reason that that happened is because there was such this feeling around these people that they were they were so relatable and such normal people and they are of course that it seemed plausible that somebody, some barista could just wake up one morning and go qualify for the Olympics. You made them too relatable. People were just like, I think my parents were like, would you do that? I'm like, what are you, what do you think I'm, I'm going to come in like second in the morning? I just want to put it out there a few weeks before the trials. I think it was right after the Houston half when Molly did so well. I said to my coach, I don't remember who my third pick was, but I said, I've got Alephine. And I said, my dark horse, who I really think could make the team, is Molly Seidel. And she was like, what are you talking about? That's impressive. That's impressive. She was definitely (laughs) not. I mean, she wasn't one of those finishes like her, but she certainly wasn't my pick. Like, I definitely didn't think that she was going to make the team because she was such an outlier. But I mean, if there's any doubt that we sent definitely the best women's team we could have sent to Tokyo, uh, Molly's bronze puts that all to rest. Totally. What a performance. Yeah. Amazing. Well, oh, so funny story about that. So I was on a plane when the, when the race was happening and like, we had some stuff going on at work. So I fully intended to get off the plane and like immediately tune in on my phone to the race, but I just forgot about it. I was too busy answering emails. I get home and I'd also forgotten about it. And Bridget texts me and she's like, Molly. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened? And so then I immediately, I don't check anything other than Twitter to figure out what's (laughs) happening. And I start sobbing and I call Bridget just crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was amazing. It just was so incredible. I slept through the whole thing because we got off of work in the stadium. Our media center would close around 3 a.m. And I would get home by the time we shut everything down, took the train back to my apartment. I'd get home around 4. And I was like, I'm going to get up at 6. And I'm going to get up in two hours after working 18 hours today. I'm going to watch this marathon. And that, of course, did not happen. And so I wake up. My phone is just like covered in text. And it's just like, can you believe it? I'm like, I don't even, what what can I not believe? I'm not sure. And so then I, of course, also went to Twitter because that is where all information lives. And yeah, I mean, I must have watched the the last 10 minutes of that race 10 times. It's just what an incredible performance that was. Yeah. Amazing. Chills. And her interview afterward, just so sweet. Yeah, I, I so brought fun. her a beer that night, the, the next oh, night to yeah. the stadium because <laughs> uh, the medal ceremony. And I couldn't, I couldn't find her. I could not find her. 
Uh, and let me say, so I drank the beer, of course, but, <laughs> but I, she said she wanted one on television. So I brought it yeah. to the medal ceremony uh, and then never ran into her. Well, I, I mean, I, I think she does have a beer sponsorship, but like, I feel like I see Michelob Ultra commercials in her future. But um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is like, and that I've been thinking about is I feel like you kind of are living the dream in that you get to do what you went to school for as a profession and merge that with something you love to do and something you're passionate about running. And I feel like a lot of us are kind of stuck between these two things of maybe we do something that like as a profession we love, but we have all of these other passions and it's kind of hard to marry the two or find a way to like make them both work. And so I'm curious, like, was that always the plan of like, I'm going to go into something that's like journalism that has to do with running or, or how did that sort of evolve and come to be? It was never the plan. I, I mean, I got lucky. I mean, I, I, you know, I, every day I'm so thankful that I get to work in the thing that I, you know, the, the activity, the passion, the, the hobby, the sport that I love the most. I mean, that is, such a blessing, and I, you know, I never take it for granted. What happened was I worked at I worked at WABC in New York City. I was the eleven o'clock news producer there, straight hard news. But I was actually on the plane for my honeymoon to Belize, <laughs> and uh, our boss sent out an email. The, the general manager of the station sent out an email and said that WABC is now the TV partner of the New York City Marathon starting this year. We'll be producing X amount of coverage and we'll be doing X. And I was like, we were taxing to take off. And I, I don't even know why I checked my work email because I, I do that, I guess, in opportune times. As we were taxing, I just wrote back, I want this project. And I sent it off and then we <laughs> took off. I mean, there are, I was, a, I've always been a running geek. So, you know, it was hard to turn me down when I said, I want to produce this project. And so yeah. for four years worked on building the stories, especially the local stories around the New York city marathon for, for WABC. And I got to tell some incredible stories. Well, you know, I met Meb through that Meb and his brother, Howie had become really good friends because we, we worked together every year on building, on building some content with Meb. We, we did, you know, talk about the story angle of it. We did this great project that we, the WABC still does to this day, where we spent two days driving from Staten Island to Central Park and stopping at every mile and finding a story at that mile to talk about how like the city just all comes together. These 26 very unique neighborhoods come together around this one thing. And they so they still do that every year. And it, that was awesome. And then and that would last all the way up to race day where we did live coverage from Staten Island. So I got to do that every year. And I just, I mean, I just poured myself in. I loved it. I would work all, I didn't have kids, so things were a little bit different, but I would work all hours of the day to make sure I could do my regular job and wasn't putting that off on the side and still, and still giving the New York City Marathon the coverage that it deserved. And so when I left WABC for this job at Atlanta Track Club, I guess to go back a little bit, I was also freelancing, doing some social media and press operations work for uh, some track meets that were held in the Northeast. So through a very long very like crazy coincidental connection. Um, my high school coach knew a guy who knew a guy. And, and so uh, anyhow, uh, I did like the Adidas Grand Prix, which was on Randall Island in New York City. I do New Balance uh, Indoor Grand Prix in Boston. And the guy who was in charge of putting on those meets um, eventually got hired as the executive director of Atlanta Track Club. His name is Rich Kanaw, and he's uh, an incredible visionary in the sport. And the reason that Atlanta Track Club got the trials and he, out of the blue, emailed me one night and just said, yeah, I was at work. And he said, would you ever think about moving to Atlanta and, and working and running? And I, you know, I went home to my wife that night. I remember it. She was, she was asleep because I would get home at one in the morning from WABC. 
and she was asleep. And I, and I just said, I just got this email. We've got to, we've got to figure out how to get to Atlanta. I've been to Atlanta like once for you know, the airport. And so that all sort of came to be. But when I went back to New York the next year for the marathon, because there is nothing like the New York City Marathon, and I can't imagine not being there on race day in New York City, I just volunteered in the media center and just did whatever needed to be done. And the next year they asked me to, um, they asked me to moderate the press conferences. And I, I thought that they made a mistake because I did not done this before outside of what I do at the track club. I had not done this before at the scale on this stage. And I've jumped at the opportunity as nervous as I was about it. And that was the year that Shalane Flanagan won and Meb retired. And I mean, it's basically like, I mean, you had to just be able to talk to be able to do this well, because the stories were so good and it went really well. And the, and there were people there who had connections to the Olympics and asked if I'd ever want to do that sort of thing at the Olympics. And I said, are you sure you're talking to the right guy? Looking for that guy over there. And, and I said, yeah, I mean, I would love to. And it's just sort of just all come together in a way that I sometimes like imposter syndrome is a real thing. And I feel it all the time because I just am like, how did this end up happening? Like I get to do all these really cool things. And it just, you know, a lot of it was just being in the right place at the right. I convinced myself that I was just in the right place at the right time, but but yeah, it's, it's, it's so, I, I just feel very fortunate every day because yeah. it's, it's awesome. I love so much of that story, but the thing that stands out to me is not that you were in the right, I mean, you were in the right place at the right time, but also at so many of those kind of two paths in the wood moments, you like actively threw your hat into the arena. You sent an email and was like, I want this job. Then you, you know, are, are doing it, you know, trying to manage your other job and like finding these stories. And then you're volunteering in the media center because you just want to be there. And so like, I love that you are, you're actively putting yourself in places where you're more likely to be in the right place at the right time. And that's, you know, that, that's very cool. You know, I, I feel like if you, so when I said I was doing freelance work for some of these track meets, it was really volunteer. And I, I did the, the Adidas Grand Prix one year, like my son was like literally six days old. And my wife was like, you're really going to work this meet. I was like, <laughs> I might meet somebody and I might, you know, something really great might come of this. And and she's like, you're crazy. I'm here with a six day old. My parents were there. So like, she, I didn't leave her alone. Like I'm not a monster. <laughs> and I only did a half day. I said, you know, this could lead to something really cool. She's like, why? I said, I don't know. And yeah. we talk about yeah. that all the time. She was like, you were right. Like going to that meet, like you met people. And, and so I've always just sort of thought that if you put yourself in these situations, you might meet somebody and you might meet somebody that down the road, can help you get something that you really want to do if you make the right connection. And so that's, that's been true enough times for me to believe that it's always true. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I was thinking too. That's, that was my takeaway of like the story of, you know, you learn your stations getting the New York city marathon and you like, immediately respond. I would be thinking about that the entire flight. I would be like, I need to buy Wi-Fi for this flight so that I can send this email because I have to be the first person to tell my producer that not only like, do I want this, but I'm the right person to, to get it. Well, and to be clear, like I, I was the, I knew I was the only running nerd. At <laughs> so like, I mean, I knew how to produce. I had established that I known I knew how to produce television, and there was no one else who was like a total running geek. So I was pretty sure that, like, if I, you know, if, if I showed them that I had a Haley Gibber Selassie poster on my wall in college, they'd be like, "Okay, we got to get this guy the, 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 the job." They'd be like, 
who's that? Yeah, right. then, okay. He's serious. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I know. I, I think everyone loves running. And then I realize no, it's just like a select few people that are really into it. And if we say we want it, people, other people are normally like, yeah, okay. But <laughs> I will tell really you by the time I left that newsroom, by the time I left that newsroom, everybody in that station was a med fan. Like they had never heard of him at all before. And by the time I left, like people still like when Meb does something, I get texts from like random coworkers yeah. from my New York City days. You're like, we saw Meb do this thing. And I'm like, yeah, he's I best. love that. You know, I, I've talked about it on here, but like New York City Marathon is my favorite, my favorite marathon, my favorite race. I've run it twice. It's my favorite day of the year. Like it's just it's the best. All in New York. There's just there that that weekend in New York. I just, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about being in New York that weekend. It is it's the best. You're right. Yeah. All due respect to the Boston Marathon, which is awesome. I was going to say all due respect, which it's a great weekend, but I don't know. There's something there's something different about the New York City Marathon. And, you know, it's interesting because in some ways, New York City is just as hard to get into in Boston, but but just in different ways, like the whole lottery plus like qualifying charity nine plus one, like it's it's a really hard race to get into. But in some ways, it, it feels like it does feel more inclusive. It feels like more international and, and sort of like more of a celebration of just what running is. I think it's the neighborhoods. Honestly, I really do. We were talking about earlier. It's I mean, Boston, the crowds of Boston are great. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Wellesley's awesome. Boston College is awesome. It's, it's, it's incredible. But the, the diversity of the crowds, how different the crowds yeah. are from one mile to the next in New York and how steady they are and how all five boroughs come out and just embrace this from Williamsburg to, to the Bronx to, to the Upper East Side. Like it's, I don't know. I think it's just like you change, you, but you, it feels like you go to a new city every couple of miles. And, and totally. I, don't, I don't know. There are very few cities I feel like have that kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah. Getting like cheered by Hasidic Jews. You're like, yeah. like, you know, like sometimes <laughs> so I was like, they don't really cheer. They just, well, kind okay, of, they, like, stood, they stand there and like, some kids, <laughs> some of the kids, Jen, <laughs> but it is. Yeah, you're right. You get all of those different slices that like, maybe you'd see walking down the street, but they just come at you in these like intense chapters where you're like yeah. it's this and then it's this and you know there's just no quiet other than the bridges and then the bridges become these like places where you kind of reflect for a minute and then it just all comes like cacophonously back you know as oh, you, you guys like I've, I've, I know. <laughs> I've only run it once I've worked it so many times I only run it yeah. once but I mean it's one of the most unforgettable running days yeah. of my life like it's to be fair I lived in New York for five years and and I just have this intense love of New York City so yeah. I, that amplifies it but uh, yeah, that 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 race is it's special. A hundred percent. I feel like it's the only, and I have run it twice, but it's the only marathon that I would, if I could, I would run every single year. Like I think I would get sick of some of the other ones. But what you said earlier about it feels like every time you're running to a new new borough, it feels like you're running to a, a totally new city, and the way that they welcome you to the boroughs, it's just it's the best. Yeah, I can talk about that for days. I love it so much. Yes, I'm excited to be back there in November and and yeah. celebrate the 50th New York City Marathon. I know. I want to go back this year, but I um and for, I'm like this is so bad. I would I would really like to go back and then I realized I said it was okay for my aunt to throw me a bridal shower that weekend and I was like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I that. 
have it in New York. Like I have my bachelor party in New York. It's a great place for a bridal shower. Like, oh gosh, can we actually change the weekend? But next year I'm going to go back one way or another. If yes. I'm not running it, definitely to actually, I'd love to volunteer and, and work it. That's really what I want to do. Being on the course is amazing too. It's just yeah. it's, any way you interact with the New York city marathon on that day is, is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, we're like a month out now from the closing ceremonies. Oh my gosh, are we really? I know. Isn't that crazy? crazy. Yeah. Every Olympics is unique. Every Olympics is extraordinary. But this one was extraordinary for, you know, some very particular reasons. You know, now looking back, what stands out to you? A couple of things. One, how incredible, and I can only speak to the athletics portion because I, I was at swimming for a day, but for the most part, I was real, I was, I spent my entire time in, in Olympic Stadium. One, how good the performances were. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew that these were, these athletes were in great shape and we'd seen how they performed in their respective trials or, or lead up events. But you think, you know, we're going to get in this empty stadium, this 68,000 person stadium that is virtually empty and it's going to be a ho-hum Olympics. And it was anything but. I mean, those 400 meter hurdle races, I mean, I, I still struggle to describe what it was like to see those races in person. I think they will go down as two of the greatest races of all time. And they happened, you know, in the Olympics that were not supposed to be the Olympics that they were. So, uh, and, and that was everything. It wasn't just the 400 meter hurdles. It was, it was the high jump. It was the pole vault. It was the javelin. Like all of those, Katie Najet was in the, in the office the other day because she trains here in New York. And like, you know, she won a gold medal. Out of, like who would have expected Katie Najet to win the gold medal? Um, and she did, and she did it in a, with an incredible performance. Uh, so the performances, but also the heart behind the performances. I mean, you always see this pure uh, drive for competition at the the Olympics, but it just seemed, and this is my first Olympics, I don't have anything to compare it to, but it just seemed like everybody felt even more fortunate to be there and be there competing against their fellow, you know, athletes in their discipline from around the world. And I'll use, I'll go back to the high jump as, as, as the, as the example of that with, with the tie between Bashim and, and, uh, and why am I blanking on <laughs> the Italian high jumpers? Uh, but that moment, well, he was the best. <laughs> but, but that moment was just like the, to me, and there's been all this talk on Twitter, which sometimes I want to throw my phone out the window about there can only be one winner. And I, I mean, that yeah. moment was just such like, that's what sports all about. Like, yeah. and, I, and I felt like maybe this year in a time where the, the Olympics really had this opportunity and this responsibility to create this sense of normalcy and healing and togetherness. And, and that moment really like, that was it. They did it. Like the games did it with that moment. And there were, there were, I'm sure there were lots of other moments like that, but that's the one I think of. So the competition and the, and sort of the, the heart behind it are going to stand out for a long time. And then I just think we worked with obviously a lot of people from, from Japan uh, in the stadium that were either in a volunteer capacity or a lot of our staff, our colleagues, our paid colleagues were, were uh, lived in Japan and had been working on these games for five years. And you heard a lot, I'm, I'm sure here in the States about how nobody in Japan wanted the games and no question. There were people in Japan who did not want the games to be there. And there were protests and we saw them, but there were a lot of people who wanted the games to be there because they felt like despite everything, this was their moment to show off how Japan could do the best possible job of putting on the Olympics. And what that meant changed a lot over the course of getting the bid to what we saw, you know, on, on the, at the opening ceremonies on July 23rd, but they, kept their foot on the gas and kept doing it and, and kept rolling with the changes and pivoting their, you know, the way they were going to present these Olympics with every change that global events threw at it. And the amount of 
pride, relief, excitement that they had that we couldn't possibly feel as people who just flew in a couple months ago kind of reminded me why we were all there. And so, I mean, I, I, I've told this story before, but it's my favorite moment of the games was the opening ceremonies when I was standing with all of our volunteers who were mostly college, a lot of college kids from Japan. And when the Japan national team came in, they just went nuts. They were so excited and so proud that Tokyo was hosting these games. And it just really showed me that they were, this meant a lot to a lot of people in Japan to be able to pull this off and do it in a way that kept people safe and that and, I, and it really showed, put the best possible light on, to, on the city of Tokyo and the country of Japan. Yeah. I mean, even at, like at the closing ceremonies, watching it on TV and them describing how, you know, the athletes couldn't go outside the village. They couldn't really explore Tokyo. So they did a lot of work to sort of bring Tokyo to them, which I thought was was really meaningful and really beautiful of recognizing like that feels like a loss. And how do we even if they can't experience it, like how do we sort of in some ways help them experience it and, and hopefully like incentivize people to come back and experience it in another way? And you could tell that there was just so much pride behind it. It's also interesting for me to hear that like what you talked about as some of your highlights, like the 400 meter hurdles or the high jump. And you were there in person and that's what you experienced as the highlights. Like it, it's so interesting that you said that because I had a conversation with my dad the other day and I said, what were your favorite moments of the Olympics? And he said, mind you, he's not a track and field guy. And he was like, oh, the 400 meter hurdles and the high jump. Those were the exact two moments. He said both the men's and the women's, like unlike anything you'd have ever seen before. And then witnessing the shared gold medal of, of the high jumps. And what he said to me was, he was like, you know, I think this was the friendship Olympics. And I was like, yeah, that was sort of the embodiment of the friendship Olympics. But also the story became so much more than just who won the medals, but whether it's the the Simone Biles narrative and sort of the emphasis on mental health and really talking openly about that and really thinking about like what it means to show courage. It's not so much about the color of the medal that you earn, but sort of the sportsmanship or sportswomanship, sports personship that you um, that you demonstrate along the way and sort of what that going back to story, like what that story and that journey is. I feel like that's so much more enduring. Obviously, you know, Molly Seidel winning the first women's marathon medal since, since Dina is a huge story. But like these other things that I think will be more impactful and sort of, I think, leave a longer mark than just just the medals that were won. Yeah, I think that the human element of it seems to be much more pronounced than in the past. Like, I mean, for me, seeing every single athlete who is there whether they were, you know, eighth in their semi or the gold medalist, like these people, you know, what did this person go through to get here? You know, and then, and then they got here. Like, it's just, a, a, it's amazing, especially this year to have made it to the start line or to the, or, or to the, you know, to the, I don't know how to say that the, the throw circle or wherever you're, you're going, like yeah. the fact that you made it there over, you had to have come overcome some odds to get here. That's I'm sure true every year, but it just felt so much more pronounced this year. And I feel like, at least the way I saw it, it, it felt like every athlete was being celebrated in a way that recognized how big just that that accomplishment of getting to the games was. Yeah. And going back to what you said about bringing Tokyo to the to the athletes, I did get to experience a lot of Tokyo, and because I quarantined and I had, you know, I was tested very frequently, so I, I could walk around Tokyo, and I did. I spent a lot of time doing it. But I I do think the best way to experience Tokyo and to encourage somebody to come back is to meet the people. It's it it is. Truly the friendliest city I've ever been to. And and if they didn't want us there, and I'm, as I said, I'm sure some people did not. And I understand that. 
you didn't feel that at all. Like there was, I, I never in nine weeks over there felt unwelcome in any single situation. As a culture, they're just, a, it's just a very friendly country. And so if that's the experience that the athletes got, they'll be back. Yeah. I want to go so badly. Like it's on my bucket list of all the places I want to go is to go to Japan. And then when you were talking about, I lived in New York for 10 years, so I just call everything like a corner store, a bodega, (laughs) sort of the the Japanese markets and like the food. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I want to experience more than anything is just going into the markets. So they weren't like bodegas in in the New York City. They were 7-Elevens or lots. They were like like chain bodegas essentially. So they all had the same thing. I mean, I guess bodegas in New York all have the same thing too. You get the, you know, the mango and the gummies in the bag. And, um, but they were, they were 7-Elevens and Lawson's and they, I mean, they were everywhere and you could live solely on the food that you got at those. So they were like slightly more, uh, corporate bodegas, but they were, yeah. Just sounds amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I feel, I feel sad for, for Japan and for the city of Tokyo, but then also, sort of inspired that like they made the best of it. And and to your point, like meeting the people, feeling that warmth and that welcome, like will hopefully encourage people to come back. I think once every, once the world gets back to normal and who knows that's when that's going to be, get vaccinated, everybody. Um, who knows when that's going to be? Um, yes. I mean, anybody who has the means to get to Japan, it's it's an incredible experience. I, I can't wait to take my family there because it was for me, like I, I, every experience I had, I just wanted to show my wife and show my kids and be able to share that with them. So, you know, we definitely want to go back. And, and I hope that, that Tokyo sees some long lasting effects of these games. Yeah. It also sounds like you have a pretty amazing and supportive wife. I know that you you talked about her with with Allie and sort of like when you were talking about, you know, okay, now I have to go over there and be there for nine weeks as opposed to what you originally thought. And she was like, go do this. She packed for you, which I need to understand her packing skills because I'm a terrible packer. So maybe I can consult with her offline, but then also just encouraging you in all of these other opportunities. She's so supportive. I mean, like, you know, if we are a team and I know that often that she carries much more of the weight of the team than I do. And I am so grateful uh, for, for Lauren and how not yet, not only has she allowed me to chase some of these crazy dreams, but she's really encouraged it because, you know, in the end, you know, I would do the same for her, but she was just great about, about me going over there. I, she had, we have a four and a six year old and, you know, all for nine weeks, she put her job on the back burner. I mean, she still worked, but put her job on the back burner to take care of our kids and gave them one of the best summers that I think, I mean, they'll remember this summer for the rest of their lives. Not because I was gone, but because <laughs> Lauren did such awesome things with, with them. So she's truly been incredibly supportive. And if I think I said this on Ali's podcast too, but if it weren't for her, I'd probably still be wandering around Tokyo. My passport would have been lost because she wouldn't have showed me this system on how to make sure I kept my passport in the, in the right spot because I lose everything. I'd have no money. <laughs> I probably would be out of underwear. <laughs> like she, uh, yeah, she made it all possible. We all need a Lauren. Like, yes, I'm yes. like, I, I definitely <laughs> Can need I, help. I need a Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a good. She could like outsource her services. I think there's a, a yeah. <laughs> there's a real skill set there. And our ten year um, wedding anniversary is in two days, so I just oh, okay. I have to say that for sure. Happy anniversary! <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. I'm sure you've got something great planned. We're actually um, going to Charlotte, which is where. Yeah. Oh, awesome! 
That's so great. Before we met and got married, and so we're going to drive up there. We're going to renew our vows, which I'm excited about, and uh, and we're taking the kids. So it's going to be a nice family weekend. I can't leave the kids for the foreseeable future because being away from them was no. way too hard. Yeah. So they're yeah. going to be they're going to be glued to my side for for a while. Nice, nice. I've been to Charlotte once for like three days, and it was beautiful. That's and a it great was time. like in the middle of marathon training, so I got some great runs in. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a great town and it's, it's right up the road from Atlanta. So we can get there often. Our, some of our best friends still live there. And yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a nice little city that that not enough people know about, but maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep it a secret. Never mind. Won't hype it up anymore. (laughs) It's terrible. Don't go to Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) So before we wrap up with some end of the podcast questions, we sort of got to this a little bit earlier um, when we were talking about like the role that running plays at different phases in our lives. But when you think about your relationship with running for the next, you know, I don't know, five, 10, 20, 50 years, like, what does that look like for you? What do you, what do you hope from it? Uh, I hope to be able to keep doing it and to stop falling. Uh, no, I hope to keep meeting people th- through it. I mean, I just, from either sharing miles with them or meeting them via Twitter through the running community, or like, I just am so, I just love the people and the the number of people and the different kinds of people that I have met through this hobby. And so I hope to never stop meeting people at group runs and on podcasts and at finish lines. I have my, my personal goals are that I want to run. I want to run as a master's runner and be competitive and go. I don't know if you've experienced the master's running scene in the U.S., but it's intense and they take it very seriously. And I really want to be part of that. So I've got three years. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I want to see this community continue to grow and continue to find ways to be inclusive and welcome new people in and make people who are not runners feel like they can be runners. Um yeah, I know that sounds all very, <laughs> very uh, rainbows and, and unicorns, um, but that's, the, I mean, that's, I love running because of the people. And so as long as I'm meeting new people, I want to keep doing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm the same age as you. And I didn't realize that in three years, I just didn't put two in. I still feel like I'm 17 and not 37. But oh my gosh, in three years, we will be masters runners. And that is exciting and terrifying at the same time. So we'll tackle it together. I used to be really scared of it. And now I'm like, I'm super excited because I, after, so after 36, I was like, I'm going to stop training for a little while. I'm just going to run, <laughs> but I'm going to go after 40. And now I'm the, like sort of really pumped about it. So let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Sounds good. Okay. Club cross country. We'll target that. Perfect. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's wrap up with some fun rapid fire. Are you ready? Ooh, yes. Okay. Favorite place for a long run. There's a couple. I love the river here in, in Atlanta, uh, but Central Park. I mean, Central Park is my favorite place to run. I'm going to, my ashes will be spread over the reservoir. I don't know if yes. that's legal, but. I will see you there. What are your predictions for men's and women's Olympic trial marathon standards? Twenty twenty. Oh, oh, it's a tough. And I have, I will preface this with I have, I have no clue what the conversations have been. I think it's going to have to be two forty to sixteen. Two sixteen. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Best Taylor <laughs> Swift album. My son was listening to Shake It Off when I came in here. Um, I'm a huge 1989 fan that album and i think it's more and we may have had this like conversation over twitter i think it was more the timing of when it came out 
I was, you know, in New York, Lauren was pregnant with Charlie and that album just, I have, a, there's a lot of memories packed into that record. I listened to it a lot. And I didn't really become a Taylor Swift fan until that album came out. And then I kind of went back and listened to other ones, but I like that. And then I like the two most recent ones, but 1989 I always have a special place. So when she does 1989 Taylor's version, we can just do a recap pod. Please, can we? Because I, I, it's yeah. one of my all-time favorite records. It's, it's a great hundred yeah. percent. We're doing it. Great. <laughs> Nothing will give me more joy in life. Yes. Uh, okay, your self-described beer nerd. What is yes. your favorite beer right now? What are we drinking? Oh. Right now, I'm really, Georgia. The Atlanta beer scene is is really great. There's a brewery here called Monday Night Brewing that I that I absolutely love. Everything they put out, so I go there often. Uh, they have great IPAs, great sours. But um, one of my favorite beers of all time is actually Pliny the Elder from uh, Russian River in San Francisco, which comes out of taps in San Francisco. You can find it in water fountains and public bathrooms, I think. <laughs> but on the East Coast, like you have to really work hard to find it. So uh, I love that beer. Yeah. Well, Jay, if you were here and at my apartment, I'd open my fridge and give you a Pliny because we stocked it in your fridge. (laughs) I came, I was a quick San Francisco story. Last time I was there, I stopped into like this little beer store and they had a whole fridge full of it. I was like a mile away from where I was staying. I just (laughs) grabbed a box and I'm walking like down the hill in San Francisco with like 24 Plinies trying to make sure they didn't fall. So good. Great beer. Okay. You can go on a long run with anyone. Who are you going on a long run with? Oh, that's a good question. I'm reading Barack Obama's book, so I'm going to go with Obama um, because it's just so fascinating and I have lots of questions. You and Elliot, did you listen to uh, Elliot's interview on Sidious Magic? I haven't listened to it yet. I said I was going to listen to it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Is he reading Barack Obama's book right now? He gave the same answer. And that's where our similarities stop. (laughs) Yeah, and you're the same. He's reading Promised Land and he, spoiler alert, he did say he would go on a run with, with Barack Obama. So you guys are basically the same, your best friend. I'm listening to that on my run. I don't usually listen to podcasts on my run. Uh, I usually run with nothing, but I'm going to listen to that tomorrow because I'm, okay. I'm sure Chris did an awesome job. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Uh, favorite turkey trot race distance? Uh, 8K. What? Yeah, I hold the course record for the Newark, New York Turkey Trot 8K, which is discontinued, so I'll always hold the course record for it. But I, I used to love that distance. My um, my instant messenger handle when we had when everybody had IM was J Holder 8K because I love the 8K. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to go out nine, eight miles. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to like go out and run a, a 8K time trial because I'm like I don't know what is what 8K just about five miles. There's a, a race in San Jose, Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, yeah, that the 408K. Yeah, actually, I ran that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Mimi. So, yeah. No, yeah. I ran it, too. That's yeah. the only reason I did Yeah. <laughs> okay, Jay, the final, most important question. Okay. Burger, burrito, or pizza? Burger. Ooh, okay. I mean, I like them all. I, I like yeah. all foods, but a burger. I've been jonesing for a really good burger since I got from, back from Japan, mm-hmm. and I have still yet to actually get, like – to go get one. Do you have a go? Do you have a go-to spot? Are we doing cheeseburger? What what what's the order here? Cheeseburger, uh, Holman and Finch in Atlanta. Awesome burgers. That's where I'll go. I did go to uh, Mineta Tavern when I lived in New York and got their like you know ridiculous. I don't know, it was like forty dollar burger, which for my birthday one year. But I'll, I will go to great lengths for a good burger. 
Nice. Okay. So you got to come out here. We'll take you on our favorite long run spots. We'll get you some Pliny and we'll take you to Selby for like their $80 burger or whatever. Yes. I was going to say Village Pub. I feel Village, like that, that's Village a good Pub. expensive Village Pub is, is good. Yeah. yeah. I love San Francisco. I can't get back there soon enough. I, it is truly one of my favorite places to go in the in the U.S. And so uh, I'm hoping to get out there soon. Once this Once this all clears up and we can travel on planes more freely, I will be out there. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Jay, thank you for everything that you do for the sport, for the community. You know, we really feel like we're friends and this conversation we are friends. absolutely <laughs> cemented, cemented our friendship. And uh, yeah, here's to, you know, all the good things to come. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And if you guys come to Atlanta, we'll uh, we'll get you in a race. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right. All right. Sounds good. good. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed this episode with Jay Holder. We can't wait to have Jay back on the show, uh, both just in general to talk about whatever and hopefully to see him in person too. But obviously, one's 1989 Taylor's version comes out. Like, I don't know how I'm going to compose myself on that podcast and talking to Jay about it and just going through every single song, rediscovering, really looking forward to seeing what's in the vault. If you don't love Taylor Swift, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have anything for you, but um, it was just so fun to talk to Jay and we're so grateful that he came on. He's been up to so much and we just can't wait to, to keep following him. You can follow Jay on Instagram at jholderruns and on Twitter at jauntingjourno. So that's like journalist, but without the list, just journo. As always, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Runners of the Bay. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this episode. Help new listeners find the show. We're just so grateful for this running community and for all of you for listening. So thanks so much, and we will talk to you soon. Time.